Hello, and welcome to Sherlock, from Adler to Amberley. An attempt to analyse all 56 of the Sherlock Holmes short stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. In order. Starting with the first story, A Scandal in Bohemia, featuring the celebrated adventuress Irene Adler, and finishing with the final story of the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, The Retired Cullerman, where Holmes and Watson accept the case from Mr Josiah Amberley. Hence, from Adler to Amberley. My name is Carl Kopak, and I'll be presenting this irregular series along with a special guest as we attempt to assess the value of each tale of the canon. Plot recap of The Adventure of the Crooked Man by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Unusually for the start of a story, Holmes calls upon Watson one night when um, Mrs. Watson, we're not quite sure which Mrs. Watson this is, but it's probably Mary, has gone to bed. Um, and he, Sherlock asks Watson to uh, go down to Aldershot with him in the morning because Colonel James Barclay of the Royal Mallows um, is dead apparently by violence, by violence, and apparently his wife Nancy um, killed uh, her husband. This is uh, <laughs> I was going to say out of character, but of course it's a murder, which is usually out of character. Um, but uh, it, it's genuinely shocking because uh, the couple seemed very, very happy. Although it's hinted at later that they weren't always the happiest couple in the world, and that he was pretty much more devoted to her than vice versa. Um, and um, But the shocking thing about it was the fact that um, Nancy Barkley went out to do, I think, something to help the poor. She's going to go, go and speak to a, a society she's involved in, which helps the poor. And um, left in a really good mood, came back in a foul mood, ordered tea in the dining room. And um, her husband came down to join her. And the servants heard raised voices. And she started shouting David at one point. Then there was a large crash and uh, scream and then when they found that the, they got, got in they had to go round to the front of the house and through the French windows he was dead with blood coming out of his head and she was in insensible on a couch um, Holmes is fascinated by this because also he wants to know why the room was locked and what's just happened um, he goes down there and finds out that um, Nancy had gone out with her next door neighbour Miss Morrison we don't know if it's the same Annie Morrison from the Reigate Squires but uh, that'd be quite nice if it was um, although a bit suspicious and um, yeah the coachman saw them go into the house and uh, everything seemed quite tranquil before all this happened Watson uh, and sorry Holmes and Watson then go and investigate the, go into the room and um, uh Holmes is absolutely in his element. He really, really sort of he's really into this story, and he's, he's intrigued by the key problem. It's a locked room mystery, um, but um, he surmises that there's a third person involved and an animal. He looks at the uh, he's, he's found the footprint which he, which he takes a sort of sketch of and tries to work out what the animal is, but he can't work it out. But it's carnivorous because it climbed up the curtain to get at the canary, and um, there's also a weapon like a club which has been found near. Um, Barclay's head um, again all suspicion points to, to Nancy and you know she's unconscious with shock which I don't quite again I don't quite understand this the old brain fever thing again um, and 
Holmes has a good look round. He's more intrigued about the animal as more than anything else at this point. But the one thing he has to do is go and speak to Annie Morrison. Um, she gives up Nancy Barkley very quickly. She said, I can't tell you. And then he says, oh, go on then. So he does. And said she was, they were confronted in the street by a man who was all bent double and twisted and, you know, very, very low, at low water, shall we say. Very, so not the sort of person they would approach Nancy Barkley, but she was shocked and, you know, um, she said to, to to Annie Morrison, "Can you can you go ahead?" Sorry, Miss Morrison, can you go ahead? And uh, I want to talk to them. And they spoke very very tenderly together, and um, and then she went back again. And so Holmes tries to work out who this per- person is. <laughs> you know, there, there aren't many candidates for people who look like this man. He's bent double. He's been twisted and what have you. Um, but again, fine. His name's Henry Wood, uh, and they say um, he, of course, denies everything. He feels the cold. He says, and the room's very, very hot. And it turns out he's been to India. And he talks about um, Colonel James Barkley, who isn't the hero that they thought he was. Um, During the Indian Rebellion of 1857, the mutiny, um, they were in the same camp. And Henry Wood, the twisted man, the crooked man, um, was in love with Nancy Barkley. But um, Colonel Barkley... um, uh, told him to go and get supplies, work out a route how to get out of the camp to save themselves from the mutiny, uh, and he was captured and um, by, by locals and tortured. And while he's being tortured, he hears overhears them talking about Barkley, and they know that Barkley sent him out into a trap so he can be killed and he can marry Nancy. And he spent thirty. He was um, many many years in India and Afghanistan and Darjeeling. He was in for a while, and he swore revenge. But actually, when he went back to the camp, it was just a coincidence that he ran into Nancy again. And when he went into the door on that fateful night, um, Barkley collapsed. Uh, it's like an apoplectic. I can't say the word. A fit. He had a fit. Let's just say that. And um, fell over and smashed his head on the on the fender and died. And uh, Nancy fainted at the sight of you know what had happened. The word the animal is a mongoose. There's going to be a lot of mongoose talk in this podcast. I must warn you. Um, uh, which had escaped from the box, and he'd obviously dropped his stick there at the same time. Holmes decides at the end that um, if when Nancy comes round, he will. Sw- he says to, towards you know, will you will you clear her? Because you know she could be executed with this. He said, of course I will. But nothing's happened. The reference to David ended up being uh, was actually a, a, a biblical reference to the um, the king who. Um, he was married to Bathsheba, and oh, I, I'm not an expert on the Bible, but he sent some similar story. He sent one of his rivals in to be killed at some battle or other. Um, and that's the adventure of the Crooked Man. Hello, welcome to Sherlock from Adler to Amberley. We're here this week to discuss the Crooked Man uh, with our friend Trevor Bond, but we're going to make a small um, notice first. Uh, our friend Tanya was supposed to join us to discuss this story, but unfortunately she's not been well for a while now, so um, Trevor's dutifully offered to step in, um, but we'd just like to wish Tanya all the best um, for the future with her health condition. Thank you, Tanya. Hope you're okay. Trev, you were here in the past to discuss the Red-Headed League. You've dutifully stepped in to discuss mongooses. Mongoose or meng- mongoose? I'm not sure. Mongooses. You, you know. Um, just let everyone know, Trevor is the biggest expert of mongooses uh, in this flat, in, in, in Sherlock Arna, shall we say? Um, I've just done the, um, the the recap of the Crooked Man. Um, first question I've got to rather you than me. Well, well, I think you've just answered the question. Did you enjoy it? 
Not particularly, Carl, no. <laughs> I, I remember when we were doing the Red-Headed League that you asked me then, didn't you? And obviously you've gone on to ask it, everyone since about, would you like to come back on again and, and do a story you don't like? Yeah. And what's a, can you name a story you don't like? And I, I forget the ones I don't like. Um, so if I, I don't think any came to mind and I'd certainly forgotten this one and I've probably forgotten some other stinkers as well, maybe from the case book or whatever. Uh, but of the ones that I can now remember, and I can now remember the Crooked Man, I, I think this might possibly be the worst one. So thanks for that. It's an odd one, isn't it? And again, I say this on every story, but that's, you know, we, we can't be too precious about this because John, poor John, got a case of identity. Um, and uh, we've, we've got the Mazaran Stone to come, obviously. But um, it's an odd one, I think, the Crooked Man, because I think it's your classic four to five out of ten it's all right, but you're waiting for the next story. Yeah, it's it gets like, the job done. Isn't it? It's a it's a, it's a fast food story, isn't it? It's a it's a McDonald's on the way past eating it in the street. It's like I'm a bit less hungry than I was before, but I don't feel I've had a, a particularly enjoyable experience. You're not you're not going to bed rubbing your stomach and smiling benignly upon the world, are you? After uh, after the crooked man meal, as it were. It's moving on. Do, do you like it, John? What, what, do you do you step in on the uh, the crooked man discussion here? Do, do you um um well I've I've put off reading it for for about a week uh, because <laughs> I just I just remember nothing really happening in it or, or something happens and then things happen and, but you're only told about them yeah, afterwards yeah and it yeah it's it literally just Holmes narrating something and then seeing a guy and then he narrates something and then they see someone else and he narrates something and they they all go home and smoke a pipe it's it, it is it is a bit yellow face isn't it the yellow face where basically he just get Sherlock just turns up and says oh oh I thought it was something else cheers and that's the entire story pretty much there is an element of that because he doesn't really I mean there's some clever stuff in it he does but it's just weird from start to finish I think I mean I mean starting from the very start um, just just to shine some light on magic here at uh, Sherlock Mathers Wambly, we do discuss this before we um, we come in, uh, and um, we we all made the point that it ju- just how <laughs> ju- just how Holmes goes round to Watson's place to basically brag more than anything else. Uh, this thing's really interesting. I think I've solved it, but um, do you want to come and watch me be brilliant? Feel free if you do. I think there's an element of that. It's an unusual start in it, as much as I know he does it with the stockbroker's clerk as well. But um, Trevor, it's a um, yeah. it's an unusual start, isn't it? He goes to see him. It's not a two to one B scene. No, no, it's it's really strange. And like you say, the only interpretation I can come to is that this is. I mean, obviously, in the real world, what it is is it's Arthur Conan Doyle needing an excuse to tell the story, uh, but within the story it's you know it's holmes looking for an audience isn't it yeah and he turns up and says his excuse to turn up is ah watson i i need somewhere to crash for the night i see there is no you know hat on your hat stand or whatever it is so therefore you don't have a lodger at the moment he lives around the corner (laughs) he literally lives around the corner (laughs) It's, it's the worst excuse ever. So what's <laughs> happened? Has Mrs. Hudson told you you've got to sleep on the stairs or something, Sherlock? And, and, and you don't, you don't, you think like if you know if the murder was in the next house or or, or, or next road, 
But they both got to travel exactly the same distance to get the train to Aldershot. Yeah. No, it's from Waterloo. Like, you know, <laughs> so it's and like it's from Paddington. It's like it's next to us. <laughs> it's actually, I, I worked it out because you know me and anyone who listened to the Red-Headed League one will know. I like to get a bit into the weeds on London geography with these things. And I even sat there and I worked out the route and I was like, okay, so the Bakerloo line doesn't exist yet. So they're almost certainly going to have to walk or get a cab. Uh, and both ways, it's actually like 10 minutes quicker from Baker Street. It's, it's no, it's, it makes no sense at all. And Watson just seems to accept it and, and be, ah, oh, well... <laughs> It, it reminds me of um, that. There's a scene in um, in Only Fools and Horses where they're all going out to the pub and Trigger turns up at um, at Dell's flat and he's having a chat with Ronnie. Yeah. And he's, and he's, yes. and he's walked past the pub on the way. Yeah, so he's going to give me a lift. Yeah, yeah, but you live closer than we do. In fact, you have to walk past the pub to get to this house. Yeah, but he said he'd give me a lift. Um, I've just seen where Queen Anne Street is, and it's it's not really worth the walk around the corner, is it? <laughs> No, I'm I'm not sure if he's in Queen Anne Street at that point because Queen Anne Street is a little bit later, isn't it? I think it's that stockbroker's clerk that he mentions. Is that, that. What he, yeah, I know, um, I know it's mentioned before. But it's, just, it's in the Paddington area around this time. It seems oh, okay. to be, um, but again, just yeah, just around the corner. I mean, Queen Anne Street would make sense for Watson uh, because you you're just off Harley Street where you've yeah. got then and now you've got a whole conglomeration of medical and medical adjacent uh, businesses. And of course, Conan Doyle had his eye clinic on yeah. one of those streets off Harley Street later as well. So my suspicion is that when Conan Doyle later gets specific and says Watson's in Queen Anne Street is because the penny has dropped with him that I'd better actually stick to bits of London that I know. <laughs> um, so it's somewhere in Paddington, but it's certainly no, no much, no use for getting to, to Paddington any quicker. And if you're going all the way to Aldershot, it doesn't make much difference, does it? No. I mean, I mean also, um, I'm trying to... Does it, he says when he writes a note to his neighbour, I think it's a different neighbour from the one he mentions in the stockbroker's clerk as well. Because I think it's Anthruser in that. Uh, or something in that. Yeah, there's there's about three different neighbours he asks to, uh, you know, to fill in for him, um, yeah. from, uh, according to the, uh, the uh, annotated... Um, Oh no, sorry. Yeah, so it's Anne Frust Anne in Boscombe Valley, and it's a nameless neighbour in the stockbroker's clerk. Oh, I thought the adventure of the nameless neighbour. That's quite oh, a good one. We it's good, isn't it? <laughs> do you think we might have just hit on something here, guys? Because I know, as Carl said, when we we do discuss this before, and uh, John, you brought up the spectre of you know how many wives did watson have yeah. i'm i'm assuming this is mary okay we're not going down that rabbit hole you can yeah, maybe the maybe for theory. all the uh, you see but you do not observe watson maybe the real subtext of all the home stories is that the biggest crime that he witnessed he continued witnessing and he never noticed it because he was so busy with mongooses and, <laughs> and horse racehorses and actually watson is leading a not even a double he's li- like quintuple life and he's got yeah. a different address with a different wife and a different neighbor all over london <laughs> yeah like the, the, yeah the faceless man yeah like uh, like in the tv series but the photographer of the wedding it could be very similar to that because or, or he's basically forced to move just because he's just doing so many oh no sorry the, the doctor next door is moving house all the time because yeah. they're just sick doing his job for him 
yeah, yeah, we've got a really big practice at the moment, and they're always talking about how busy they are. And you know, my he says my practice is not a an inconsiderable one. Then maybe you should do your own job for a bit, John, rather than you know, there's a practice manager somewhere going, <laughs> said constantly slipping notes under the door, saying, "You are down on your average of patients seen this month for the sixth month in a row. Will you stop running around with your silly friend?" There's a locum just going nuts somewhere in the Paddington area. It's like, I just want a day off. Oh, great. You sorted out the hands of the Baskervilles. Well done. But, you know, I wouldn't mind Friday off if that's okay. Um, I, 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 sorry, John. I want to know where Mary is. Because, you know, when's the last time we saw Mary? Every time Sherlock comes around, she's away. She's, she's Mrs. Mannering, bed. isn't she? Well, she's not Mrs. Mannering or he's got her locked up in the attic or something. She's Again, Sherlock is oblivious to what's really going on. Yeah, it's it's all a bit, but uh, but but Sherlock is also, um, <laughs> Sherlock is also fascinated by by the the, the whole sort of case about um, uh, down down in Aldershot when it doesn't seem he says something like it, it's like the one of the most confusing cases he's ever faced or something like that. Yeah, is it's it? really not, is it? Is it? It's, it's a really not that lock room mystery, isn't it? It's and it's not, is it? It's it's a it's a room with a locked door and a wide open window. <laughs> <laughs> I and wonder it's... where the man could have gone. <laughs> I I just can't work it out. I can't just can't work it out, Watson. Yeah. Do you think you see that big open thing there at the other end of the room? You know the entire length of the wall where it just walks. <laughs> His hair is just being blown all up in his face like an advert, (laughs) and he's going, I can't see how he could possibly escape from this place. (laughs) It's freezing here, Watson. I can't figure it out. Pigeon just wanders in and out again. It's it's completely puzzling. So is, is is he a bit lonely, do we think? Do we think old Sherlock's missing Watson a bit? So he comes up with some absolutely stupid case with no mystery at all because they haven't you know at the inquest they even decide it's not actually a murder by the end yes. morning. um you know and he's like i get watson to come down to this you know we'll, we'll have a bit of a run around the countryside where is aldershot is it the countryside i don't actually know yeah um, hampshire yeah Hampshire. Well, well, it's it's country compared to London, I suppose. We'll have a run around in the countryside, you know. We'll, uh, you know, have, you know, go to the local pub, ride on the train a bit, and you know, smoke a couple of pipes and stuff like that. He's lonely, isn't he? That's what it is. It's literally let me talk at you for a bit. Yeah. Can I just talk at you for a bit? This case is coming. Look, things are a bit slow, and um, I'm just going to build this one up a bit because, as in the other face, I'm just a bit bored and. Let me just pontificate for a bit. Um, I've just had a look online, and it's an hour and a half drive. Although, obviously, that's probably going quite the pace of my car. But probably not far off it, though. And you're Um, right. At the end, they just sort of bump into the major in the street, who's like, turns out it's a complete waste of time you coming here in the first place, lads. And they're (laughs) like, oh, well, that was jolly. (laughs) Oh, it it is a bit of a filler story, isn't it? Ultimately. I always think it's it's a bit like, you know... um, that they say about Shakespeare and and you know the um uh, the Porter speech. It's just it's just there to take away the drama before your next big wave of drama. And it, when I read this again, I just thought there must be a really big story coming up soon because that that really was like a just a sort of gentle. I was going to use the word pot boiler, but it's not even that. It's it's <sighs> it's the track you always skip on the album, isn't it? That's what yeah. It is. it, it, do you know what it is? It's Octopus's Garden. Yes. That's, that's exactly yes. what this 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 uh, story is. 
Um, but it's it's got some nice things. I, again, I, I'm going to mention the the Clive Marison Radio Four adaptations, and they save this story. Right? It's it's what it's one of Bert's story, and I've got an email from Bert. I'll read out. But it's um, it's saved because Henry Wood is um, Brian Blessed, and t- t- talk about absolutely rescuing the story because he's just brilliant in it, as, as you'd imagine. Um, but I mean, what? it's Doctor Who alumni. Uh, what's his name? Norman. Uh, yeah, Norman Jones, isn't it? In the yes. uh, Jeremy Brett one, that's a yep. that's a good performance as well. Yeah, yeah. They, they fix the story, don't they? Yeah, they do. In the adaptations, really as you say particularly in the Brett one. And it seems so odd to me that Conan Doyle didn't come up with the same fix. Because it's not difficult. You just have Watson there from the start. And then you can actually see things happening. Why, what was Conan, I'd love to know what Conan Doyle's reasoning was for having everything basically happen off stage. Why has he thought, I'll bring in Watson afterwards? It's, It's bizarre. The whole thing just is basically... It, it, three it's conversations a... or three sets of conversations, isn't it? It's a conversation with uh, the oft-repeated Annie Morrison. Yeah. Um, where because Watson isn't there, we don't even know how that conversation happened. Which yeah. could have been interesting if, because she says to the police, "I'm not going to. I didn't see anything." And then you could have seen how Holmes, you know, talks her around and gets her confidence or tricks her or whatever into saying something. But actually, you just told. Well, they asked. She didn't say anything. I asked. She told me everything. Then yeah. he goes around for a bit, saying, "Have you seen a funny-looking man?" And then at the end, they go and they say, are you the funny looking man? And he says, yes. And here's my entire story. The end. Oh, by the way, it's not a murder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> by the way, the whole thing was a waste of time. It, it, it's almost like those episodes in modern drama series where they do a studio-based episode, low budget. Yeah. Yes, in order to save a episode. Of money, you know, save, yeah, to save a bit yes. of money you know, for the big series finale. But, you know... It, this is a writer in the you know 1880s you know what why does he need to save a bit of money in his story it's, it makes no yeah there, there is no tv <laughs> Arthur, there's no tv for you to budget save here you know we've got imaginations at this point it, it, it's... i was trying to remember saying about the adaptations i was thinking about this on the way back today because obviously we've spoken about the the brett one and the the burt calls radio um adaptation i don't think there's a basil rathbone one of this is there there is no, apparently a silent film from, or I, I presume it's silent. It's from like the, I think the twenties. Um, that I've never, yeah, nineteen twenty-three. I've got written down here, a short film of it apparently, but I've never been able to find a, how do you a do copy that, of it. Bro? That could be interesting. John, you're the thespian amongst us. How do you do a silent version of things which literally is just three bodies of text? The entire story is three bodies of text. Well, I, I suppose, I suppose they'd show. Um, like you know, the body being found and everyone looked a bit shocked and like, <gasps> and then they'd have Holmes turn up and you know, smoke his pipe a bit and uh, you know, with his magnifying glass and stuff like that. And then they probably have the flashback about you know, the crooked man in the street. I'm actually doing a crooked man action, this is probably not very politically correct. Okay. Um, you know, uh, uh, and then they'd, they'd have you know, they'd have him telling his story and they do another flashback to showing him, being, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, it, it's doable, it's, it's probably it's actually more interesting they, than the actual they story. They took me captive. Said. They come over the hill. Yeah, looks shocked. Yeah, actually, do you know what? We're we're, we're mocking this because it's because it's, it's it's due to its lack of drama, but it's got a mongoose in it. 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's got a mongoose. It's also got a cobra, though. And I do love the mongoose in it. And we are going to come two to pages the cobra. of mongoose facts. But <laughs> the, the, no one seems surprised by the cobra. That's the thing that <laughs> gets me in this story. It's like, I mean, one, the mongoose is irrelevant. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the mongoose kind of gets Holmes interested because he does this thing about ah oh, something that's bigger than a bigger than a cat and yeah. smaller than a dog and carnivorous has run up the curtain. Yeah. But then it, it it's not he doesn't solve it by going around asking have you seen anyone with a mongoose? <laughs> it's just at the end the man goes oh and that's my mongoose in the corner and oh well yep yeah, fine that makes sense yeah well, it yeah. fights with my cobra oh well I work here Watson is done he's got a cobra. <laughs> He, the, the, it's what it's Watson who actually identifies it as a mongoose. Yeah. Um, in the end, the, the guy's like, "Oh, it might be called that, but you know, we just call it this." And thinking, "Well, okay." Ah, oh, well, John. <laughs> <laughs> would you? Would you? Um, mongoose moment, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as you correctly say, what was it, what was that chocolate mongoose moment? Something about magic. Yes, Henry Wood uh, if, if tells Holmes and Watson that some people call Teddy, I don't know how to pronounce it, uh, an ichnamon, which refers to a species of mongoose commonly known as the Egyptian mongoose. They are found in other areas of Africa, including Tunisia and Sudan, and also in Turkey and Syria, as well as parts of Portugal and Spain. Although where Henry Wood came across one in Nepal or West Bengal <laughs> is another mystery to add to the tale of the crooked man. In fact, it would have been more likely to encounter the small Asian mongoose, or alternatively, an Indian grey mongoose, which is distinguished by its darker feet. But, mongoose but facts. But um, and we are as you were, gents. There are but going he... to be plenty of mongoose facts going. But what I don't get, if someone said to me, uh, do, "Do you know, do you know Dave? No, who's Dave? Dave's the one who walks around with a cat on the lead. I think so. He's also the man with the tiger. Oh, the tiger, Dave. I know tiger. Dave. He's got a cobra. Yeah. No one seems cobra. to think the cobra is worthy of a mention. Also, <laughs> can we just agree? The pretty much the only thing he says about the cobra is, in essence, don't worry, I've taken its fangs out. It can't hurt the mongoose. It's going to need a new cobra every night. That mongoose yeah. is going to kill that cobra every within seconds. Maybe, the, maybe the, the, the fangs are the only chance that creature has got. Maybe he's defanged or declawed the mongoose as well. Um, but I, I, I guess wasn't I get... it the claw marks in the curtain? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's something. It was, wasn't it? Maybe, maybe it's his feet claws. Feet claws. It I makes him wear boxing gloves. I don't. Know. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> but, but maybe he blunts the claws a bit. But I, I think with that is, you know, I think he keeps probably keeps the snake in a little, you know, snake pouch or something, you know, a case or something. But I think he actually has the mongoose going about of him, you know, because he calls him Teddy. That's his. It's his best mate. Who also kills a like a man killing cobra. Yeah, and possibly a canary. Yeah. He, Does he kill the canary? Does he just try to kill the canary? Uh, he tries to get at it, he says. You know, that would have been a more interesting mystery. Where's the canary gone? <laughs> <laughs> How did the canary get out of this locked room? Oh, but, well, you once again, next... Sherlock, to the window. <laughs> <laughs> well, would that have been the next thing, though? Because um, Holmes walks in and says, ah, it's really fa- I don't know how to describe this, Watson, but he's... the canary's dead. Uh, Holmes, have you noticed the dead sergeant <laughs> on the floor? The colonel, sorry. Yeah, yeah, but I'm really thinking about the canary here. How did the canary... Feather on the floor. There's a creature missing. (laughs) (laughs) It's about three inches tall and mainly green. I've got to come back to this this as well, but how the hell do you defang a cobra without anaesthetic? 
Well, I did look this up. Of course you did. <laughs> That's why you're here. Uh, and I can't tell you how it's done, uh, but it is fairly commonly done, and it's still done when you, uh, if you go and buy a cobra as you can from a pet shop in the UK, it will generally be defanged. So it seems to be a fairly common. Pro- I assume you anesthetize it. I mean. I'd charge an awful lot of money for that cobra if I'd it, taken its fangs out while it was alive, but it, not it, illegal, which finds odd. Which I find odd. Yeah, I don't know if we odd. want to come on to any uh, of the the legal issues of this tale, but uh, but yeah, I was surprised. I was thinking, I wonder if defanging cobras was illegal back in the eighteen eighties, and it turns out it wasn't, and it's still not. It doesn't Maybe strike me as, as, as a like, as like... sorry. sorry Dan. I was saying, maybe it's done at like birth or something, you know, like like when they you know, they like castrate a pig or a goat or something, you know, yeah. sheep, you know, maybe, maybe they defang the cobras at uh, at birth or not long after birth when they get little baby fangs. I love the fact that we're more interested in this than the death of film. Did you know that a meerkat is a mongoose? What sorry? Did you know that a meerkat is a mongoose? I did. I did. It's a very small one. They have I a head and body. That, yeah, uh, yeah uh, their head and body of a meerkat measures on average twenty-four to thirty-five centimeters, as opposed to larger mongoose species, which can measure up to seventy-one centimeters. Um, although even meerkats aren't as small as the dwarf mongoose, which can measure as little as seventeen or eighteen centimeters. I mean, we're not idiots, Trev. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows. Is anyone else well, listening? Well, the adverts to don't, do they? Do you remember the the insurance things? It was all about. There was a whole thing about the rivalry between the meerkats and the mongooses. Yeah. They're the same thing. Yeah. But that does mean that Timon from The Lion King is a, a distant cousin of, of uh, Teddy Wood, doesn't it? So that's quite cool. So Akuna Matata. We're giving him a full name now, are we? Teddy Wood, yes. Obviously. <laughs> Mr. Edward Wood. Okay. <laughs> as as he has been known. I, I, there's just so many strange things. There's been a really, really strange murder in the area. Who could it be? Well, definitely not the man who walks around with a cobra and a mongoose. It's Ben Hart in, in, in Twine and basically um, attractive women are not scared of. Don't bother looking at him. It's nothing to do with... I mean, it's it's just it's just a, such a strange story of, um, you know, where, where the mongoose is actually more interesting than the murder and the mongoose... The physical appearance thing is weird, though, isn't it? I was thinking about this a bit. And obviously Conan Doyle gets a lot of stick, doesn't he? looking back now about the portrayal of you know disability and also that it tends to be sort of deformed to use the term um that you know come back from empire or come over from the empire and are sort of dangerous to the the law and order of the british state but i think you could make an argument it may not be a very good one but you could make an argument that there is a sort of progressive reading of it because I think the general intention of the story is what you're both getting at, that you're supposed to think of this sinister man walking around and then, yeah, it's laughable that why didn't anyone go, well, it's the sinister man over there. But if you think of stuff like this and obviously uh, Twisted Lip um, and then with Holmes in the empty house as well, um, I think you could argue that what Conan Doyle is saying is that apart from their appearance, these people, you could be a 
arguable war hero, I suppose, Henry Wood. You could be yeah. a great consulting yeah. detective. You could be a gentleman. You know, it's not. And when you think of the Victoria, you know, the levels of interest in, you know, phrenology and stuff like that at the time, the idea that the physical appearance is a betrayer of the personality yeah. and the the moral character of someone. I think the fact that this disguise, not that it's disguise in Wood's case, but you know what I mean, is so easy to to put on and take off. And the, he does give the character, doesn't he? He's like, well, this is what I look like now, but remember when I was when I was this. I think that's arguably quite progressive. I would it say. is, yeah. It's 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 about respectability, isn't it? Hmm. And the man they all respect and adore is the least person who deserves it, and the man they look at with you know, disdain almost is the man they should really be respected because he's the true hero of this or, or at the very least of the wronged man of, 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 of you know, the, of the whole story. I, I really do like about the story though, is the fact that Wood says that he's, his vengeance is gone pretty much. He's just got older. He's just sort of thinking, well, I'm back. He wants to be in his soldiers. You can imagine if he's gone back there and he just wants a life now. And he didn't go in with, with the intention of killing James Barkley. By, by the way, I think we need to speak to the sur- to the s- surgeon and whoever does the autopsy. If they think they're talking about murder one minute and it's very clear he's had some sort of stroke or heart attack or something. Um, I think it is heart failure in the end. I think he's done as well. But I, th- I think that the, the you're right. It is very very progressive. But I just just find it very interesting that he it's almost it is an accidental death, but it really is because he, he didn't he went back not to cause harm. It was just a coincidence that he was there. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a bit. I've not really thought about it like that, but it's a bit Inspector Calls in its way, isn't it? In yeah, that, yeah. Is it completely unrelated? You know, there's the set of circumstances that was set into motion. How culpable is Wood in that? He didn't go there to kill him, and he certainly didn't kill him. But would he be dead if it wasn't for him? Yeah. Well, no, no, because it it, it seems to be a direct reaction to finding out that Wood is alive and that is is wife found out about his um you know his his dark past um but uh, i gotta say Gents, would i ha- don't want to worry you but if if we just just if we just but if this story interest <laughs> we just discovered a, well, a really interesting philosophical I, subtext of the I, was, I was gonna say i was gonna say if wood did actually try and go out to get revenge it would have been a more interesting story <laughs> Yeah, possibly. Yeah, there's but a difference I, I, between you know the philosophical and the nice cathartic thing. But Wood Wood doesn't want revenge. He's just you know moved on and stuff like that. And what actually makes an interesting story? They're two different things, unfortunately. What are the I chances, like, though? Right, it turns up. It just happens to turn up. I want to be near some soldiers. Oh, it happens to be the base that my yeah. ex-colleague and his wife live in. Uh, I just happen to have turned up just as I've decided I don't want to kill him. What are the chances, eh? Well, I suppose it depends how many bases he's been going to. You know, this could be the third or fourth, you know, base that he's visited and stuff like that. Doing his little, you know, tour with his mongoose and cobra and, you know, card tricks. I suppose it's a captive audience because, like, back the, the, when they were all in India before the mutiny, you you couldn't move for mongoose talk and um, acts of magic and that sort of thing. So he's probably just thinking, well, you know, that that's where the gig is. It's basically like pantomime, but with um, but with mongooses. But wouldn't you want to then set up? 
somewhere where no one's ever seen a mongoose. Yeah, possibly, yeah. If, you, if you, your whole thing is showing off a mongoose and a cobra, you don't want to turn up in a place where everyone goes, yeah, Next you see them every day. Ah, uh, but you know, you know, you've got no audience with that, you know, because, you know, the normal people wouldn't come to see the mongoose cobra fighting show, but he knows the soldiers love it, you know, so. Yeah. Give the people what they want. Exactly, you're, you know. You're listening to mongoose talk. Um... <laughs> Um, Would you like some legal mongoose talk? <laughs> well, finally, finally, there we go. Enough of the preamble. Well, we said no crime has been committed or no murder has been committed, didn't we? Um, this is what so, Holmes knocked on, the, on Watson's door for. Yes, I think it was. I think he's very into his import and export admin. <laughs> but yeah, there are possibly some crimes being committed, I think. Uh, I mean, we're not told who... I think are we all in agreement that the sort of implication is that Henry Wood has brought these creatures over himself, right? He's imported them, isn't he? He's come with his he's any forms. Well, I've never but heard. I don't think, he's, I don't think he's bought them in order shop pets or us, has he? No, no, no. They're they're his mates. <laughs> They've come with him. So uh, I mean, now you know they're they've certainly. Uh, Appendix two and appendix three for the uh, cobra and the mongoose, respectively. Uh, they would need to an export permit under CITES um, and a UK import permit. If he's displaying them in his pub for more than seven days, he may even need to register under the Zoo Licensing Act of 1981. Uh, and Rushmore Borough Council, being the body concerned down there in Aldershot, would uh, want to be checking how they're being kept. But even back then, there are some things that he... And maybe our uh, central characters are, are falling foul of, which I found quite interesting. Um, we're talking particularly about the Cruelty to Animals Act of 1849, uh, which is actually quite interesting. It's uh, the main, or one of the one of the main bits in it is it expressly bans being a horse slaughterer and a horse dealer at the same time. So something's happened there at some point. Yeah. Um, but th- there's quite a lot of, you know, given this is the era of is it the year of cockfighting or was that more but it's you know we're not far removed are we and we're generally not seen as a particularly sort of um animal friendly or or compassionate society in general was it not a priority victorian era but there's some pretty strong punishments in here so i'm not going to read out the whole thing but you know, to beat, ill-treat, overdrive, abuse, torture, or cause or procure to be cruelly beaten, ill-treated, blah, 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 um, any animal, uh, every such offender for every such offence, forfeit and pay a penalty not exceeding five pounds. Every offence, if he's doing this every night of the week in the pub, yeah. um, you've got a similar one for specific, similar five pound penalty or up to five pound penalty for um, specifically every person should keep or use or act in the management of any place for the purpose of fighting or baiting any bull, bear, badger, dog, cock or other kind of animal, whether of domestic or wild nature. That's another five pounds. So that's him and probably the landlord every time. Um, every person should impound or confine or cause to be impounded or confined. Basically, he's got to look after it properly, give him both um, enough food and water. If you don't do that, it's a penalty of 20 shillings and also someone from the local council or whatever can go in and feed your cobra if you're not feeding it enough and charge you for the food they've given it um you can't pay any of those up to two months imprisonment with or without hard labor so <laughs> it's, it's not so nothing is it 
I've, I've got to say, I'm not surprised by all this because famously the RSPCA was founded before the NSPCC. Um, that is know. actually, yes, you've yeah, made a fair know, point. Maybe I'm maligning the animal rights reputation of the yeah, Victorians. 18, 1824, the RSPCA, 1884, the NSPCC, and there were laws um, against cruelty to animals long before there were laws against cruelty to children. So, you know, you True. can beat the child, but you can't beat the dog in Victorian England. You can operate on the dog and do a live vivisection on it for any, any listeners. There won't be many. Any, any listeners who are familiar with the uh, the brown dog story. That was, what, about 30 years after the, um, around about the time of the story, actually, after the this Cruelty to Animals Act, and so 60 or so years after the RSPCA, wasn't it? But, yeah, good point. Good to point. be fair, they probably wouldn't mind you doing that to a child in Victorian England as well, you know, as long as you know you were rich enough, it'd be fine. As long as it as long as it goes and cleans your chimney in between, no, it'd probably exactly. be fine. Exactly. Um Holmes and Watson potentially in a bit of trouble as well. Um I think you'd need a good prosecution lawyer to get them on this, but I think you could as a, a non lawyer, but uh, I think you could make an argument that if we're counting Holmes and Watson now they have been told about and seen uh teddy and the nameless cobra if we're counting them as witnesses to the fact that they now know that's going on um if they're called they could be called to give evidence if he's prosecuted under any any of those parts of the act and it's up to three weeks in prison if they refuse to turn up so the the heroes of our tale could have even embroiled themselves in something here by by holmes's usual reluctance to inform the authorities i I love the idea of the straw turning up at Henry Wood's place and saying, and him saying, no, no, it was, it was um, apoplexy. He died. I was not murder. No, no. Can, can we have a quick word about the cobra and the mongoose, please? Um, I've got these two miscreants, Holmes and Watson, in the back of the van, and um, you're coming with me because you didn't fill in your appendices to application form to get them across the channel. Uh, and th- that's the true crime here. If I could reluctantly drag us back to Colonel Barclay. Oh. Uh, oh no, we're coming. Back, oh, believe me, we're always going to come back to the mongoose. <laughs> you can. I'll, I'll I'll allow Colonel Barkley, Carl. But if you start going on about this blooming coachman, I've got a theory about this coachman too. What was he doing? Um, we need to talk about Annie Morrison as well, who's done very well since she left Rygate, and um, to be the you know for, for the note of the Rygate squires. Um, there's a there's a nice little thing about he does genuinely feel guilty. I like I like the the the, the detail about him, you know, drifting off when they're talking old battles and suddenly the, you can see the guilt washing over his face and you know what's he done, etc. But I find one thing that is quite I, I imagine anyway it's quite unusual for the times is that um, dashing young sergeant as he was and then you know marries the most beautiful girl and what have you. Um, is the fact that it's a very, very uneven marriage. It's she's married him, you imagine, because of his status, because no one now Henry Wood has definitely been killed, as far as they know, that um uh they married because that's what these things did, you know, like you know, the just to keep everything pure or what have you. Um she doesn't especially like him. And that's maybe that's because he's very, very clingy, you know, and um, you know, he's, he's obsessed by his wife and what have you. Um, there's also the suggestion as well that Major Murphy is um, uh, is is involved with uh, with Nancy Barkley as well. Um, I do that part of the story again, not especially dramatic, 
But I do think that sets it up quite nicely. It gives you the little hint there that there's a reason why, you know, he's so obsessed with his wife and that, you know, that, that he occasionally has these these lapses of consciousness or, almost and and uh, uh, about what's going on. But I'm also thinking, is that um, Conan Doyle saying, like, can we give him a little bit of sympathy here? N- no, is the answer to that. Absolutely none. He knew that man was going to be killed. But also, um, again, the Radio 4 adaptation, it suggests that, you know, he knew... That that the um that the the, the the village he was in or wherever it was was going to be relieved by O'Neill by Neil's men, um but it doesn't say that in the story, he just sends them off to his death anyway, even though there's every chance they're going to be dead because there's no water left, so I think the whole bark thing is quite sort of good in some ways but quite confusing in others. Well, as as Leslie points out in the annotated, you know he's put everyone at risk. Um, Literally everyone, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, including himself, including his, uh, you know, his 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 lady friend, and yeah, it's um. But he does give him some element of sympathy. You know, you can tell he's certainly not proud of what he's done. Yeah, <laughs> get twenty odd years after he's married the woman, obviously, and and pulled uh... to pieces. It could just be that he's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a coward who's scared of being found out rather than any actual guilt about yeah, it. Yeah, that could be part of it, yeah. Maybe I'm just a cynical um, person who always thinks the worst of people. Oh, you definitely are. No yeah. question of that. Um, but it, it's just a, a sort of an unusual... Because um, they do this, don't they? they every now, there's, there's, I'm thinking about the Abbey Grange and things like that, where, you know, there's respectable man with all this and then you find out actually he's quite a horrible human being and he's dead but you know he's not going to be mourned as such Trey do you have any thoughts about Colonel James Barkley or is he I know he's not going to top the mongoose in your, in your billing <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah I, str- I I probably lean more towards John to be honest I, I struggle to see much sympathy in him uh, one thing I thought was kind of interesting with the while we're on Barkley and the, the army angle is it did strike me rereading it that there's nowadays there's that classic copy paste storyline, isn't there? In your like NCIS's, CSI's, that kind of stuff, where anything you get with the crime, anything with initials, <laughs> um, you get the crime that happens on an army base or a navy base or whatever, and the non-army authorities have to go in and the army obstruct them and they're like we do things ourselves here and we don't want you here asking questions and this is kind of that reverse archetype isn't it because in this it's actually the army that have gone to Holmes and said we want actually we want this done properly and I thought that was quite an interesting little comparison yeah yeah again I'm thinking about the BBC series where the the Baskerville story where um, Watson has to literally pull rank and say, like, yeah. you know, let us in, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, John Watson of the Fusiliers, wherever it was, Northumberland is regiment, isn't it, I think? Um, yeah, 5th Northumberland Fusiliers. That's right, yeah, and uh, and he does that, and again, in the radio version, um, it, it is Holmes just being bored, and, you know, Watson's sitting there, isn't that magnificent, watching them all march around their parades, stuff like that, and Holmes is literally yawning in the background, oh, yeah, I can only see a mindless machine, he says. At that point, but they 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 do sort of bring him in, and obviously just apologise to him at the end when there is literally mongoose aside, there is literally nothing of anything interesting within the case at all. And we should also talk about Annie Morrison. Um, if she was backing me up with an alibi in court, I think I'd want someone else to do it. 
I mean, it is literally, I refuse to talk about what happens between me and Nancy and the strange man. Um, oh, go on, tell us. Okay, then. Yeah, this is what I was saying earlier. Like, yep. it, it, there's such an opportunity to show us some clever way that Holmes got that answer, but he solves the whole case just by asking people questions and they tell him the answer. Yeah. It was the, it was the wild man of India with the strange club and the um, oh he's got a cobra as well she's really really dropped that in Sherlock he 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 does have a cobra as well yeah it, it's a um no one's really hiding anything I mean uh, as John pointed no, out if you ask the right questions the, the whole thing is just is out there for anybody yeah. there's no detection is there there's just mild persistence it's it's just baffling that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, no, no, even even Henry Wood sort of expects them to come along at some point, you know, come in, sit down, right, there we go, I'll just tell you what happens here. It is a weird thing, and because I'm really interested in sort of drama, particularly radio drama as well, I asked Bert um, about um, about what it was like to do this when I saw it was his, and he, he, sent, he sent me an email, I asked him basically about how, what it was like to work with Brian Blessed, who's a bit of a hero of mine, um, and he said, hi, Carl. Brian Blessed was wonderful to work with. It was his second appearance in the BBC Complete Canon, having played Jonathan Small in The Sign of Four. Later, it was decided not to use prominent guest stars more than once, but I was pleased that this happened after we brought him in for Henry Wood. Blessed has the reputation of being loud and on subtle performances, but there's far more to him than that. And he, ampl 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 he amply demonstrates this uh, aptly, I think he means. Aptly demonstrates this in both of his roles for us. The quiet chat between him and Michael Williams as Watson at the end of The Crooked Man is one of my favourite moments in the entire project. He is larger and li larger than life, though. Working with him is being like run over by a whole fleet of buses, as, as Brian Mellis said afterwards. The sessions for that show were really enjoyable. Most of them were, actually. I look forward, I look back on those years as an extremely happy time. Um, I don't think the story would work quite so well on radio without Brian Blessed, because as, as Bert says, the little bit at the end where um, it's not in the actual story, it's such as sort of just added on, where um, Watson says to him, um, you know, as, as an old one Indian hand to the other, he says, going to give you some advice. He says, when um, when she comes round, go and see her. Um, I think you'll find she's going to be, you know, happier to see her than you think she is. And and Brian Blessed just, as, as Henry Wood, just says, perhaps. And the amount of emotion he gets into that word, as in sort of, it's almost reluctant. That's, sort of, yeah, maybe, you know, it's, it's he's accepting it, but um, it's just a beautiful, and, and I, I just re recommend that to anyone, just that Brian Blessed in that uh, as Henry Wood. Um, it's just amazing. But Henry Wood himself is, I don't quite get him a lot of the time. Um, he's been tortured half to death. He goes all the way back there. He wants to be in his soldiers. And yet his vengeance has left him. I don't know whether that's quite an, an admirable thing or just a bit of a cop out for the story, to be honest. I'm not entirely sure how I see that. Um, but I think he's far more reliable than Annie Morrison. I'll Are we going to talk about whether Annie Morrison is the same one? <laughs> or whether Conan Doyle is just, as I, with the whole story, I just being totally, lazy? Well, the distance, I can tell you, between Rygate... about 30 miles, something like that? It can't be far, no. I'm going to look that up now. Rygate to Aldershot. I know they're technically different counties, but I don't know yeah, far away. It's, it's like... Um, Right, Dan, it's right on the border, isn't it? Is it the same one? Will she be involved with the Cunninghams? I'll have to bring Hannah back in so she can tell us about this. Rygate um, to Aldershot is 33 miles. Um, 
what are you doing in Rygate? Now, now, see, this is where we would benefit from a third story in the Annie Morrison trilogy, which I'm now calling it. Is Annie Morrison the unknown neighbour? Are you suggesting she's following Watson round, just dropping clues like some sort of Moriarty? <laughs> Is, is Morrison the female version of Moriarty that he's cunningly seen? And that, that, now, now we're, we're through the looking glass here, people. Is this has gone full-on fanfic now. <laughs> when, where, where, when is Rygate Squire set in comparison to this? It's three we, miles away. It's not that far at all. It's, it's literally no, just... When, 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 when? Oh, uh, let me have a look. Spring of 87 is Rygate Squire's. Uh, this is summer of 87, isn't it? 87, no, 88, 89, 89 probably, isn't it? 88, because of Watson's uh, Yeah, because they're married and yeah. sign of well, 88, isn't married. it? We never see her. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, assuming it is Mary. Mad Woman in the Attic. Oh, yeah, it could be one of the seven wives that he has, according to the... That was a rabbit hole, that was. <laughs> yeah, thanks <laughs> for sending me down that. Good Lord. The seven the wives of Watson. For the benefit of the of, of the uh, of, of the listeners who may not be familiar, there is there is a theory that Watson actually had seven wives, and I'm doing inverted commas around wives because apparently he... they just assume that he marries every woman he meets, don't they? I mean, they're like, and in he this story, in love with every woman he meets, doesn't he? And well, he, he does, Dad. It doesn't necessarily mean it's mutual. <laughs> Mean they're necessarily running down the aisle with him. Yeah, but there's no idols according to these stories. He just kind of shacks up with them for a while, doesn't he? According to that theory, and uh, it says on Wikipedia that the first few lines by Watson say that this story occurred in the summer just after his marriage, which was in 1889. So it's just a couple of years after. Uh... Yeah, so a couple of years after 30 miles down the road, maybe. But after she's, uh, she's obviously yeah. defended Nancy Barkley somewhere along the way. Yeah, the problem is though, sign of four contradicts itself several times. Well, when it really does. Set in 1888, yeah. so True. it could be a start of eighteen eighty eight or the end of it. So I think that's really, do we think if Conan Doyle, which let's be fair, he isn't, but if Conan Doyle was <laughs> trying to make these connections between stories, do you think he's paying much attention to? Oh, I'd better check what year I set the marriage in the novel. He didn't even check in the Richter's first before. name at one point. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I think we're, it's a little bit like when people try and do psychology with, you know, Jack the Ripper wouldn't have behaved like this because that's not rational. Well, there's lots of things that <laughs> most people hopefully don't think are rational the bit that I'm he did. Um, yeah. And similarly, I think we're, we're falling into the same trap here of saying, well, it can't be the same person because Conan Doyle knew that it was the wrong year. I don't think Conan Doyle could have cared less if it was the right year. No, no, he's, he's, he's just picking numbers up at this point, isn't he? Um, so speaking of strange numbers, I, I didn't know this at all. I just read it on Wikipedia. Um, late research, let's call it that. Doyle <laughs> ranks The Adventure of the Crooked Man 15th in a list of his 19 favourite Sherlock Holmes stories. I'm just going to leave that in there and just leave it there. Maybe it's the mongoose. Maybe so 15 out of 56 50, altogether. 15 out of his 19 favourite short stories. So he's ignored the other 20 odd. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to say. So you know, it's you know, it's it's 15 out of 56, isn't it? Really, you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, unless he's pretending that. Oh well, it, I suppose it depends when he came up with the list, really, doesn't it? I need to look at that list actually because I'm not entirely sure what. Um, I know we had Speckle Band at number one, didn't he? So, which is fair enough, I suppose. But I suppose uh, I, I, I suppose it depends when he actually wrote the list. You know, if, yeah. if he if he wrote the list, you know. Shortly after writing this story, then you know maybe it is fifteenth out of nineteen. Bit of recency you know. bias, yeah. Yeah, you know, well, no, yeah, but if you compare it to like you know the yellow face case of identity, and <laughs> all the all the great ones, all the greats. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just having a look at the list now, and it's um, uh, well, I can tell, I, I'll tell I'll tell you what 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 this is better. I'll, t- I'll tell you what it beats actually. I go I go from fifteen onwards. Okay. Uh, oh, I'm not sure it's going to tell me. In that case, I'll tell you what the top ten are because he's, uh, this list doesn't tell me that. It's, it's top ones where the event of the spe- Speckle Band, the Red-Headed yeah. League, the Dancing Men, which I might completely agree with, the Final Problem, Scandal and Bohemia, uh, the Empty House, Five Orange Pips, the Second Stain, Devil's Foot, I'm not quite sure about that, Priory School, really? The Musgrave Ritual, and number 12 is the Rygate Squires. Um, I suppose what he's trying to say is they're all different types of story. Um, he later added seven more favourites, including from he'd written after the Strand, including Sil- So the next, um, uh, oh sorry, here they are. So basically, Silver Blaze, then Bruce Partington Plans, which is my number one. Yes. Um, and then uh, the Crooked Man. Which, so he says the Crooked Man is better than Man with the Twisted Lip, the Greek Interpreter, the Resident Patient, and the Naval Treaty. I would stand on any stage in the world and argue against that. That's yeah, yeah. Certainly, the naval treaty. Resident I mean, patient. Is, oh, you said resident patient, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Well, otherwise, solitary cyclist. Does that get in there? No, that's better than this. Yeah, not mentioned at all in his, mm. in his nineteen. Um, but I, I think I mean we're going to come to obviously to, to Greek interpreter. I think naval treaty. It's, it's certainly the longest story, isn't it? Because I had a look at that the other day. That goes on for quite, a, and it's got diagrams in it and everything. So you know that's quite involved. Um, which leads me to this question, really: How long did it take him to write this? Longer than we've been talking now? <laughs> Don't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, the longest part is probably researching the mongoose. Yes. Well, which you yeah. did. It's the wrong kind of mongoose. I told yes. you. It yeah, but this is Doyle's properly. research. This is Doyle's research. <laughs> I'm really, I really worry about his eye patience sometimes. You know, the standards <laughs> that he's got for assessing research. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, I read a paper once. What you need to do is poke your eye out and put it in your shoe. <laughs> Are you sure you're an actual doctor, Arthur? <laughs> I mean, let, let's face it, if, if if Doyle was alive today, he'd probably be, you know, an anti-vaxxer, COVID denier. <laughs> oh, he'd, he'd be in Trafalgar Square standing next to Piers Corbyn, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. You say that, Trafalgar, how would he find Trafalgar Square? He's no idea where he is. He'd find it, he'd just think it's in Greenwich. <laughs> <laughs> and here as we stand in Bristol, are you sure, Arthur? Are you sure this is London? I'm not convinced myself. Oh, I don't know. It's so so far, bearing in mind the stories we've covered, is this the? I mean, we've got case of identity now. Is this the weaker one? Do you think so far? I'm not a fan of the Rygate Squires that much. I really like Stockbrokers Clark, but I think this might be the first ugh, of the collection. So it is a clunker, in it. It really yeah. is. It's it's just the structure that I find weird. I think if you look at what happens in it, 
there are others that are on a par with it for lack of drama and there are others that might even be worse but at least even if the thing isn't particularly interesting in most of those something happens but i find this this bizarre structure that he's come up with where it's a story that's essentially an extended synopsis of itself um just really odd at least in the others you get you know you get them to get up and go somewhere before and things happen with Watson there to tell you about them. Well, well, I mean, you talk about a lack of drama because, and this is the, certainly the collection for it because we've we've just done Rygate Squire, but before that we've got Musgrave Ritual, which is literally Holmes talking to Watson, and then Gloria Scott before that, which is literally Holmes talking to Watson. Yes. So this is his. Um, it, it's like it's almost as if the early stories he's been sold as, as Paul Edwards said in when we did. Um, the blue carbuncle, the words of the adventure of the adventure of are important. It's an adventure. This isn't an adventure. Uh, and the other two are more sort of mind, like, you know, Musgrave Ritual is actually quite clever because it, it deals with a code, you know, a catechism that he's got to work out. Gloria Scott is more of a working backwards and there's a code involved. So they can see the adventure of that. This is literally three people talk. Yeah, but it's interesting the, the, the title of this collection, though, in regards to that. Yeah, memoirs. Yeah, the memoirs. Yeah. Because you know what is a memoir? It's a recollection, isn't it? Rather than yeah. actual something happening. But yeah, I've never really thought about that. But there must be a reason for it. But I'm I'm struggling to to see it. But you're right, actually. Yeah, that what we have is is Conan Doyle almost trying to give us stories on purpose where watson isn't involved I don't, yeah. I don't know why but that's basically what it is isn't it it's it's yeah. the adventures of holmes and watson if you like yeah um and then it's other other cases that holmes told me about yeah um, maybe maybe he's had some kind of a letter from someone thinks who's basically said oh we don't think it's right to have watson running about so much when he should be at home you know being a family man and stuff so he's kind it's of trying to work that his neighbour's written in. Look, I'm, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I just need to do. I just need to do more work for this. Um, we haven't actually done a Watson watch, but that that won't take long because he literally the action he does here is he opens the door. That, that, that is literally it. He opens the door and gets nope. on a train. No, nope. he, he identifies the, the mongoose. <laughs> uh, it's that, the mongoose. I cried. That's what he does. It, that that it, in, in Trev's eyes, at least, is the biggest part of the drama because finally the mongoose is out. It's out of the box, quite literally. Um, but my point before about having the quieter stories before the more dramatic ones, it's quite interesting if you look at um, this collection. Silver Blaze, Definite Adventure, Cardboard Box has got Missing Ears, um, Yellow Face, Quiet Story, Stockbroker's Clock, interesting. Then the quiet ones are Gloria Scott, Musgrave Ritual, Rygate Squire, Crooked Man. Resident Patient, I, I like that. I don't say it's particularly adventurous, but it's a, it's, a, yeah. again, it's a looking back one. That's a genuine memoir story. And then the last three of the collection are just just heavy hitters. Greek and Tebra, it's a naval treaty final problem. So maybe this is deliberate and it, this collection is... Yeah, maybe it is all a setup for the yeah, final you know, problem in a sense. It's, 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 it's quite a second act almost. It's actually Moriarty who's behind the door, naturally. Ah, oh, he's a professor, isn't he? He would certainly be able to look after a case of mumps if he had to. 
So are we saying these later memoir stories are uh, basically the the training montage, right? Yeah. Like they're exactly they're right off is. to go they're off to go and suit up and have their moment with uh, on the Reichenbach Falls, and this is you know Holmes sitting on the plane or getting his all his tools or whatever, his clothes yeah, he's, nicely he's pressed and he's thinking mountain. back yeah. to all the adventures in the past. Yeah, he's basically running up a snowy mountain sort of and shouting at the sky. That sort of thing before he really kicks into the uh, the big fight at the end with Moriarty. It's it's like what the the, the popular BBC TV series starring uh, Eggs Benedict Cabbage Patch Dolls um, does with uh, the, you know um, before they do the final problem, um, um, and it it's you know it it has that little montage of all these cases he's solved and he's been given gifts like you know cufflinks and the yeah. the, the hat and stuff like that, you know it, it's a bit like that I mm. suppose. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the only way I can. I mean, I'm absolutely gobsmacked. He chose that it's number fifteen. I really am. I mean, it's it's bizarre because I could just name fifteen stories without thinking of them, which are better than the Crooked Man. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got death in it, you know. Then there seems to be more. There's more, not necessarily murders, but there's more bodies in this collection compared to the adventures. I think. But 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 again, John, we were more interested in the mongoose than the man lying dead up with his head in the fender. True. 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 And this is before we get to the cobra. Can I uh, can, can I um, uh, raise something as well here? You can, David. We like more. Yes, we need to talk about David. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Are we all in agreement that he's not spotted? <laughs> Come on, Sherlock. We, we really are. Yeah. Oh, I know what that was, Watson. Um, give me a minute. Let me just bring up Wikipedia. Yeah, it's it's, it's it couldn't have been more sort of. Yeah, let's throw that one in at the end, shall we? It's like I mean, I know she's meant to be, you know, devoutly religious and a Catholic and stuff like that. But if you're going to, you know, shout someone at something, you know, call someone something in an argument, it's not going to be something they've got to look up, surely, you know, because no, exactly. you know, it's, it's like you know, and you know, and, and and King David's famous for a lot of things. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of code. Yeah, there's a lot of things he's, he's famous for. Um, and you know, there's it's 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 oh well, yes. Oh, you're calling me David. It must be because of David and Bathsheba. You know, nothing to do with you know whatever else he did. You know, and uh, Goliath. Like Goliath, yeah, Goliath. You know, the bit building... association. No, even even if you think maybe he means the biblical David, it could be any yeah. David. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the, the traditional thing is you call someone a Judas if they're a traitor, don't they? But yeah. automatically, you know, everyone, no matter how religious they are, they know that association. Yeah. But, but it's David an unusual name as well, name isn't it? There's man. not many Judases running around, are there? Well, they probably went down popularity. You would imagine, though, wouldn't you? But, you know, David is such a common name that I don't think you'd even make the association. There is that we might nice be overlooking business, one thing, isn't there? Sorry, Carl? We might be overlooking one thing. On. Maybe she knows the mongoose's name is real Dave, really David. Teddy is David. Yeah. Maybe like the cobra's David. Te- te- Teddy and Dave. <laughs> big, big Henry Woods um, mates, Teddy and Dave. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Again, we're through the looking glass, people. Maybe Henry's name was originally meant to be David, but then Conan Doyle just before you know submitted it <laughs> realised he'd forgotten the name. Yeah, I mean, I'll go back and change it. Nah. 
I'll just, I'll just make it mean something. He's like, I'll have to type it all up again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, right. Or oh, he's just mis- misread Annie Morrison's name. What was, the, what, was the, what was the woman's name? Dave, David's good enough. Just make it David. James Moriarty's brother's called James Moriarty. No, surely she'd be a Mary in that case. Yeah, Mary, yeah. And she'd be a governess. What's her name? Mary. Are you going to marry her? Yeah, I'll have to. Her name's Mary. <laughs> what about this scarlet woman? Her name's Violet. Oh, it's okay. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> Slightly more, more, more flighty and fruity. Uh, Violet. Okay, fair enough, yeah. David the Mongoose. I mean, it's not out the question, to be honest. <laughs> There's been stranger decisions that that man has made. As much as, as you always say, we all love him and we all love the stories. He does some weird things. <laughs> there is that nice bit of business course in there in the, in the Brett one. They bring that up, don't they, at the end where um, Watson spots that there's a, a pound note or something in the Bible where Holmes has been like yeah, placed right, in yeah. Samuel 2 and he's it suggests that he's the, the implication I think is that, you know Watson realizes Holmes has looked it up afterwards when they've got home I, I wonder whether there's another reading that I, I like to think Holmes has done that on purpose to see if Watson finds it as part of his test oh okay but, well it certainly adds a little bit of drama and intrigue to a story that literally has man hits head on fender but animal running up a turns curtain. out it's more interesting <laughs> yeah that's it. Everything is irrelevant in this story, right? Yeah. Man hits head on fender is not what killed him. <laughs> <laughs> Mysterious creature turns out to be mongoose. Did nothing. Played no, no part in the that story. isn't even the most interesting animal in the story who you don't meet. Who also has nothing to do with the story. It's a weird one, isn't it? I think this story would be just as interesting if you'd stopped that if you'd appeared in the middle of it and started reading out the importation taxes and levies <laughs> of bringing in a mongoose across Afghanistan and Darjeeling or what have you. Ah, but Mr. Woods, <laughs> I have to ask you: Is it not you true your that you were once a horse dealer and your brother a horse slaughterer, <laughs> and were you not registered at the same premises? I, I've got something completely off topic here, but I'm just looking at the pictures. Um, uh, and, you know, the, I kind of like looking at pictures, and the Sydney Paget um, uh, illustration from the Strand magazine um, has got. And I've noticed this before. Holmes always wears a top hat and yeah. wears a bowler hat. Why is there symbolism to Victorian haberdashery like that? This is something I need to look into because mm. um, when um, they did the Jeeves and Worcester stories. Um, Stephen Fry wrote about this and he said that Jeeves would always, always wear a bowler hat, always, and he, he's not always depicted as such, so there is some sort of um, societal Yeah, I think it's I think it's a class written. signifier, because al- yeah, although Watson's a doctor, you know, he's still a working man, isn't he? Whereas, yeah. Um, it's, it's a sort of Oh, it's Holmes descended from East Central Country Squires, isn't it? Holmes, so is, the, Holmes is the gentleman, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's more, more gentry, isn't it? Um, yeah. For Holmes, yeah and, and Holmes is just a, just a surgeon and soldier, so what? It deserves to be much lower down on the on the chain hmm. for that. For that, I think that's um, yeah. I, I suppose also it's it's his way of saying now this this one by the way is definitely Watson and this one is definitely Holmes because of course you can't always it's if it's just too many. Most of those 
drawings, great as they are, are just tend to be two, three people talking to each other. This is literally this is literally three people talking to each other. Yeah. Um, but Watson's got a moustache. Yeah, because Holmes isn't going to have a moustache. He's not that sort of man. No, exactly. But and I bet he's, and Holmes is definitely not going to put his handkerchief up his sleeve. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, uh, that, that thing. Because is that a military thing? <sighs> my, my, funnily enough, my granddad used to do it, and he was in the Merchant Navy. So maybe yeah, like, I think it might, might be, yeah. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, my grandmother used to do that. And, you know, she she, she never was in any kind of <laughs> military organisation for as far as I'm aware. Well, uh, so far as she told you, John, that well, that's the tale you see, but you do not observe, Watson. It was there in yeah. front of you all the time, a uh, double life. Yeah. Did she have a cobra? No, I don't think she had a cobra, no. Yeah. No, I think there's also, and before we, we do we do have to finish soon, but um there's one thing that we haven't mentioned. This is the elementary story. Yes. The big myth. Ooh, yes. It is as well, isn't it? I have the advantage of knowing your habits, my dear, my dear Watson said he. Excellent, I cried. Elementary, said he, and that's all you're getting. That's the only elementary reference. It's also the only appearance um, in the short stories of the Baker Street Irregulars. Yes. Yeah, and it's a new one, isn't it? This time. It's, it's not Wiggins. Uh, it's Simpson. Well, Wiggins isn't an irregular. Oh no, he's a sort of he's paid, isn't he, Wiggins? Yeah, uh, it's it's, it's Simpson in this. Uh, oh no, uh, oh, is Wiggins the irregular? Hang on, let me look. No, oh, no, sorry. Really, it's yeah, really no, sorry. Thinking of. I'm right. Wiggins is the irregular. Um, uh, it's Cartwright who's the one who's not actually an irregular. He's paid. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. We need a page boy as well later on, but yeah, yeah. It, it's Simpson in the, in this. Um, yeah, and again, not the trickiest job. You know that man who looks completely bizarre compared to everybody else. Yeah, can you make sure he doesn't escape? Well, he can barely walk. So, um, well, can he? Come on, then. We've got we've got to get into something um, before we finish. Yeah, I mean, can he? Is is he unable? You know, walking really slowly and really uneasily and blah blah blah. Because how's he getting across that lawn and over that fence, guys? Is he putting it on? And also, I'll just say briefly, what's the coachman doing? I'm going to leave it there. I'm not going to go into that down that wormhole. I could be here for several hours thinking, yes, but where's the coachman? Literally just dropped them off. How did he not see Annie Morrison with Henry? Honestly, George? I think the coachman is where he needs to be and not where he needs to not be. I think the coachman is purely a device in this story. Yeah. That we need someone to have seen something. Well, we've got a coachman lying around. Well, let's not forget I... that a coachman dies in the Rygate Squires, which is a... An Annie Morrison story. The other Annie Morrison oh, story. Yeah. It's, all, it's Annie Morrison. It's, it's, it's all her. It's, um, it's Annie Moriarty. <laughs> Absolutely convinced of it. So we're suggesting that, um, yeah, how does it get across? It's a small, it's a low wall with with an iron railing atop it, isn't it? And, um, and... It sounds like Trevor works at the Department of Work and Pensions really, at the moment. <laughs> oh, he's, he's not, not getting his death, full right? benefit, I'm telling you now. <laughs> You say you cannot, you are not fit to work, Mr. Wood, and yet we have witnesses that have seen you exhibiting a cobra and a mongoose in public houses every night of the week. If you can do that. Again, without your work import license. I mean, what what magic tricks does this guy do then as a conjurer? Well, he it's makes really a mongoose and a cobra appear. What more do you Yeah, want? I, mean, I mean, you know, he's... he's so, you know, whatever they've done to him and stuff like that, his his hands are presumably 
unaffected if he's a pretty reasonable conjurer, you'd think. Yeah. I like the idea that he's some sort of, um, what's his name, Virgil Kent in uh, The Usual Suspects, where his limp and everything disappears, now his work is done. Maybe he wasn't tortured, maybe this is just the whole sort of, that would actually be a more interesting story. I think he's I... tortured, I think he's arguably exaggerating. And wouldn't you, as much as he says he doesn't want vengeance, he's got his moment of shocking the man who sent him yeah. out to his doom. Wouldn't you just put it on that little bit more? Gild the yeah. lily that bit a little bit? It would. Okay, the Page illustration, the first time you see him where he's like, it's Nancy, and looks like Fagan for some reason. The two yeah, I thought um, that. It's, you know, he doesn't look that bent over or crippled in that. He just, I'm, I'm watching the, uh, the yeah, the, the one where he sat by the fire. Um, yeah, the, yeah. The room's supposed to be incredibly hot as well, and I don't think the fire's actually on. Not on, but, you know, not, not blazing, anyway. I don't think you can turn it on. <laughs> yeah, it's... Do you want a bit of uh, parliamentary fun games before we call it a, call it a day? You want, you're listening <laughs> so, to Mongoose talk. You're listening to Mongoose moments. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Annie Morrison Mongoose all through the night. <laughs> this is the longest episode ever, and we've talked talk about it nothing. <laughs> we did we did briefly go into the story in detail in the middle, and I can only apologise for that. <laughs> exactly. uh, so I was looking up through uh, Hansard to see if I could find any parallels about people being pulled up for owning mongooses or cobras. And I didn't quite get there, but I did find something quite fun <laughs> uh, regarding a, a bit of a sort of amateur zoo in Barnet in 1925. So a fair bit after this story, but still Conan Doyle's lifetime. Um, so from Thursday, the 26th of March, 1925, I'm just going to read this out as it is from Hansard. So we're under the, what is that? The Stanley Baldwin government there, aren't we? Yeah. Um, I, I present to you, <laughs> international uh, listeners might be interested to know that this is the, the standard on which the great <laughs> British Parliament still works. Um, so 20, Thursday, the 26th of March, 1925, Lieutenant Colonel Fremantle, um, the Conservative MP for St Albans, asked the Home Secretary if his attention had been drawn to the recent establishment in the old coaching stables at Barnet, of a livestock depot from which several monkeys, a baboon, a puma, some red deer, a mongoose, woo woo, uh, and a snake have at several times, not just once, have at several times escaped to the alarm and danger of the inhabitants uh, and whether he will take the necessary steps through the police to whom complaint has been made or otherwise to secure the peace and safety of this neighbourhood forthwith. So William Joyson Hicks, the Home Secretary, said, my attention has not previously been drawn to this matter, but in any case, I have no power to interfere. If any persons consider that they have cause for complaint in their matter, their civil remedy is open to them. Fremantle is not satisfied with this. Is it not the duty of the police to protect the people from obvious danger? At which point, Sir Harry Britton, the MP for Acton, jumps in. How could that pleasant little animal, the mongoose, possibly be a danger? I like Sir Harry Britton. Uh, <laughs> Then uh, Sir W. Joynson Hicks, someone I haven't been able to find out much about, I do not think it is the duty of the police. In fact, the police themselves may need protection for a baboon appeared at the police station. <laughs> <laughs> he goes and himself in. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's a fair cop. 
<laughs> Lieutenant Colonel Fremantle, does that not show the possibility of what may happen at Barnet? Sir William <laughs> Joyce and Hicks, I cannot prosecute a baboon. <laughs> Uh, you don't get stories like that anymore. It's brilliant, isn't it? Uh, a little bit further down, Major Crawford, in view of the escape of these animals, including a baboon and a puma, will the right honourable gentleman allow the police to be armed in that district? <laughs> so William Joints and Hicks comes back. This is not correct. The puma did not escape. So that's OK, then. Uh, <laughs> it continues. It's amazing. Uh, so see Kinlock Cook, the unionist MP. I looked him up. Uh, will the right honourable gentleman say whether any of these peculiar animals have ever escaped into the House of Commons? To which we were told several honourable members shouted, yes. Uh, and then there's a it, it, it does go on. Um, there's a bit at the end with uh, uh, Sir H. Britton. I think that's that's Harry, isn't it? Um, from the Protection of Birds Act. Um, are not these monkeys less liable to create alarm than some of the suspicious characters who attend Barnet Fair? <laughs> but yeah, I like the the fact that he felt he needed to correct that the puma didn't escape. Uh, and a baboon, the baboon appearing at the police station, I just love that. And, uh, we do know now that the Home Secretary cannot prosecute a baboon, so just in case anyone was yeah. in any doubt. It's, it's literally the speckled band, though. Don't, it is, yeah. yeah, it's yeah exactly that. Baboon is, oh, it's a cheetah, not a puma, but of course, yeah. it's a big cat. There's mention of a baboon. Yeah, there's a baboon. There's, yeah, there's a... Oh, I say, there's some kind of primate, there's um, some kind of big cat, there's a snake. It's, you know. Is there a mongoose in the speckled band? No, there isn't. No, he, he, he restricted himself to just the one mongoose in the can. Teddy or Teddy. David. Trevor, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> the most surreal episode of Sherlock Madler to Amberley. I've lost the will to live. <laughs> uh, I wasn't expecting to say this, to be honest, Carl, when I got the message saying, Would you like to do the Crooked Man? And my immediate thought was, what a stupid question! Of course, I wouldn't. But I've actually really enjoyed myself. Uh, yes, uh, I hope people have found some of this madness entertaining when John finally gets it out. I don't think you're going to bother trying to edit it, are you? It wouldn't be possible. If, you, if you stuck um, it to the end, well done, everyone. If you got past the mongoose talk, it's well worth it for the for the, for the uh, image of the baboon handing himself in at the police station at the end in a sort of George Hutchison type way. That's very nice. Um, our next show will be uh, the resident patients, which will be in the new year. Um, our special guest for that is um, Heather, Heather Owen. And um, we're, we're really looking forward to that. So, Trevor, thank you once more. To come this to is me. not fair. How did she get the resident patients? She gets, yeah, she gets the resident patients. You had um, the redhead. I did have the redhead. I had a case of identity. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and just a final reminder bit before we go that um, we will be announcing the date um, uh, as and when we get closer to time of a very special edition of the of the podcast for the final problem where we've got Leslie Klinger and the great, the great, great, great Bert Cools um, joining us for a live event. Um, if we can work out to do it on Facebook and Twitter, we will do it as a sort of Zoom call and uh, we'll have a chat and a Q&A with uh, Leslie and Bert, who are not just doing that, finishing off the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes, they're going to be opening the return of Sherlock Holmes in 1903. So they're doing the final problem and the empty house because it is pretty much a two-hander as well. Trevor, thank you again for coming along. No, um, thanks for thanks for having me. And uh, uh, we will. I uh, give I you. We, we owe you a third story. I think just. I, I think you do. I think you do. I will send in. you off. 
into the night with a final mongoose fact. <laughs> the Javan mongoose was introduced to a number of tropical islands in the 19th century in an attempt to manage pests such as rats on sugar plantations. They were devastating to local bird populations and they're still banned in New Zealand and the USA. Mongoose facts. Thank you, <laughs> Wembley. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Absolute madness. See you guys. I would like to thank our hosts at Rippercast, as well as producers Jonathan Mengus and John Reese. A special thank you too to Andrew Firth, who created both the graphics and the theme music. You can contact us on Twitter at Adler to Amberley. Thank you for listening.